Hey, this is Gary Kane. I'm a guitar player, singer, and songwriter living in Austin, Texas, originally from Canada, and you are listening to Talkin' Blues. So, how long have you been living in Austin? Um... That's not as easy a question to answer as it as it might be. It might seem. Um, my wife actually moved down here before I did. She got a job down here, which is what kind of led us down here. Um, and then I stayed in Canada and kind of split my time between Canada and uh, Texas until I could finally make the move. So she's been here. I want to say going on almost eight years. Oh, okay. Seven years, and I've been here full time, probably coming up on three and a half or four. But was it a difficult decision to move to Austin? I mean, I think as a musician, it wouldn't be, but yeah, it was. What, what was the thinking behind holding back and waiting? It was, well, originally it was just all logistical. It was like I, I was still working and uh, making ends meet in Canada. So I kind of had to wrap up things there. We had a house and there was all kinds of stuff there. And originally I was going to see if I could kind of make it work going back and forth and eventually just decided that I had to, you know, kind of jump in with both feet. But um I mean, ironically or strangely enough, we, my wife before my one birthday asked me what city I'd want to go to or where I want to go in the world more than anywhere else. And I'd never been to Austin. So we did a trip down to Austin and I think she got her job offer completely unrelated about three weeks later. So it just happened to be that after we visited, she got a job offer down here. And so um, if it had been somewhere else, we might not have considered it, but I was really keen to move to Austin because so much of my favorite music and musicians are from here. Um, there's a great blues tradition here, and specifically the type I like. Um, so I was really excited about the possibility. She really liked the job, so we decided let's you know let's try and make it work. That's crazy that it would just work out like that. Yeah, we were pretty <laughs> surprised. So, because I was kind of curious as to whether you move just to enhance your career or to take your career to the next level. I mean, I, I presume you did, and that's part of it, but that wasn't the sole reason for you being down there. No, I mean, I probably couldn't have done it uh, without my wife first having gotten a job here to kind of get us established. Um, at that point, I was kind of uh, moving into doing music full time already at that point um, and just kind of starting to build things in Canada. I'd done some touring in Europe and things like that. And we're starting to book festivals. Um, I'd just been in the the IBC. And I'm sure you're familiar with that, yeah. the uh, International Blues Challenge. So we made it to the semifinals of that. And uh, that opened up some opportunities. Um, and uh, yeah, so then moving to Austin was actually first was kind of a step backward before I could take a step forward because um, I had to make, you know, I had to find a new band to play with. I had to meet all new people. I, uh, I didn't have any relationships with the venues. So I kind of had to start from scratch down here, um, which, as I found, was a lot easier than probably starting from scratch at home because there's so many great players, tons of venues. Uh, and people really appreciate live music down here in a way that uh, is kind of unique, I think, yeah. um, uh, compared to other places I've been. Um, okay, so tell me about that. So you decide that you're going to move down there. And, and as you said, you have a lot of musical influences from musicians down in Austin, Texas, like Stevie Ray Vaughan and like Chris Duarte. Um, yeah, for sure. So tell me about the thinking when you finally decide, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move down there. You don't know that many people. You don't know the bars. How do you go about establishing yourself and creating opportunities for yourself? Well, uh, actually, it's funny you mentioned Chris Duarte because he actually hooked me up with my first bass player. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because actually, he'd uh, him and I had connected on Instagram a little bit before I'd made the move to Austin, and so he's a super nice guy and probably one of my biggest influences in the guitar for sure. Um, I just think the world of his playing. And uh, so, but he's a super nice guy. And he, he had sent me kind of like supportive messages, like I was playing a big festival and he would kind of, you know, message me and say, hey, knock him dead, have a good show, that kind of stuff. Um, so really nice of him to, to reach out and do that. So when I moved to Austin, I actually showed up at a show he was playing and he kind of like looked at me like a two heads, like, what are you doing in Texas? <laughs> I told him, I'm like, I moved here, you know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, I chatted with him and he actually connected me with uh, a guy locally here, Matt Temple, that I ended up playing bass with. Um, or he played bass with me, I should say. Uh, and then from there, I just kind of networked with other musicians, found some drummers to play with. And um, in the musician community, everybody kind of knows everybody to a degree. So um, there's kind of only a couple degrees of separation down here. And, and you end up just meeting people, you play gigs, right? You see people and it just kind of happened fairly organically. 
how easy is it to get gigs coming into a new territory, new city, new town? Uh, I didn't find it too bad, to be honest with you. At first, it's like you kind of have to, I think people that are booking gigs, they get so many emails, right? And so your your, verse, your first challenge is even just getting them to open your email, right, right. is a challenge. So, uh, so I reached out to some places that I thought stylistically would fit with me. And at first, you know, it's a little bit slow and you got to follow up. And But I've been through that before, kind of doing that in other places. And so it wasn't too bad. Um, and then eventually you kind of get into some places. You play some places that maybe aren't the best fit for you. And, you know, you don't follow up to play there again, maybe. Or, or uh, But I've kind of found a number of places that we do really well at and that kind of fit my aesthetic and that we get a, get a bit of a following. So now things are kind of up and running. We're playing out in, uh, like in Houston. We're playing in, in Austin, down in San Antonio, kind of anywhere within, say, a two to three hour radius of Austin. Um, and so it hasn't been that bad. And I think uh, one thing is that a lot of people that book uh, music for places are real music enthusiasts. Not all, but um, a lot of times I've found in, at least in Ontario, sometimes you would end up dealing with somebody who is juggling you know, 80 different job roles, right? They were the manager and they were supervising shifts. And so music was an afterthought for them. Right. Understandably so. And so, uh, but some some places down here, they have people that are real music curators uh, and they're really good to deal with. How do you sell yourself? How does that happen? Like what, what goes into selling yourself to these people who don't know you? <laughs> um, well, I've got some videos of me performing live that I've taken at different uh, concerts and, and festivals and stuff that I use. So I've kind of got just like a form email that I can send out kind of with a, here's my website, here's a bunch of video, here's some recorded songs, here's some, you know, press reviews about what people have said about me and things like that. Um, so generally, you know what they're looking for in that first thing. You don't want, you want to make it a fairly quick email so they don't have to waste a lot of time and then get right to it. Um, but video seems to be the number one thing. So uh, once you send that, then assuming you can get them to look at it, then usually you can do pretty well. So, um, and then I stay really organized. I mean, it's not tremendously exciting or sexy, but I use a, a like a CRM program that just keeps me on, you know, it reminds me when I have to sell, send follow-up emails and do all this stuff because you have to end up sending so many emails and there's so many venues to keep track of that if you don't have a system, you just won't, you'll drop balls all over the place. So um, you really have to stay on top of it. Are you goal-oriented? Um, I don't know that I really am, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't, I've never had like a five-year plan or like a 10-year plan or, you know, I'm not even really sure what I'm going to have for supper tomorrow, to be honest <laughs> with you. But, but I, I definitely am moving in a direction and I'm moving in that direction uh, uh, with a lot of effort. So, um, and my guiding principle kind of has been that... Um, I'm going to take gigs and play things that align with like what I want to do and what fulfills me and not kind of get pulled off the, the, the rails by doing things that seem like career success. So I, I've kind of done that before in the past where I've taken gigs that pay well and, and they kind of to uh, the younger me, they seem like success basically, or it's a regular gig, you know, it's a higher profile or you're, you're making more money. But if it's not music you're really, really into, then to me, it just kind of ends up being a step back. And uh, so I, I kind of resist the temptation. I've been offered gigs in other bands that would be kind of, you know, exciting gigs, like touring in Europe and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think I've decided I want to do my own thing. So I'm putting all my energy into just kind of develop myself um, and see what happens. Let's talk about that. Let's go back a ways. Um, you said you were... You were based out of Scarborough or Toronto area, moved to Kitchener. And That's right. Grew up in Kitchener. Uh, I believe you started playing piano at a very young age of seven or somewhere around there. At that point, I, did, yeah. I presume that it was it was something your parents told you to do as opposed to you wanting to be a <laughs> pianist. Is that correct? I don't really remember any desire to be a pianist at all, but I do remember that I thought the piano was pretty cool. And... Uh, and I may have even been younger than that because I think it might have been before I even was in school because um, I remember being home with my mom. Um, and I think she just, to keep me busy and out of her hair, she would sit me at the piano and show me something. And that would keep me busy for like 20 minutes to learn it. And once I learned it, you know, I'd come running in, show it to her, and then she'd show me something else. And so uh, I learned all these little tunes on the on the piano and I, was, I loved it. Like I would just get lost in it. Um, 
uh, the time would fly by. I'm sure for my mom, it was a godsend to have this kid occupied, <laughs> you know, but so instead, yeah, instead of sitting me in front of the TV, she sat me in front of the piano. And uh, that's kind of where I started loving being able to actually make music. Uh, and then she had an old classical guitar sitting in the corner of the uh, living room beside the piano, actually, that she bought um, when she lived in New Zealand, actually. And uh, and so I think I just I don't really remember how, but sometime I just ended up picking it up and I just kind of played whatever came. I'm sure it was terrible. <laughs> I think back to it, but I just started playing whatever I was playing. And uh, eventually, years later, I got into some different music. I got really got into the band ACDC. That was like obsessed. Who with didn't? Them. Yeah, I mean, there's something wrong with you if you didn't have an ACDC face. Yeah. I think. And uh, and they were great. And again, my poor mother. Uh, I remember finding I loved their live "If You Want Blood" uh, uh, <laughs> tape. I guess at that time. And I remember just like I forcing my mother to listen to like the solo from Whole Lotta Rosie. Or whatever, like, you know. <laughs> She, I was like, you have to listen to what Angus is doing here, you know, like, and she, she you know, she was very gracious about it. She listened to that. But, uh, but yeah, I started picking out ACDC tunes by ear on the uh, classical nylon string elect or sorry, acoustic, which um, uh, not kind of a artistic choice made by no other option <laughs> rather than any wise decision on my point. Or my part. And uh and yeah, my friend who was a really good drummer and is a professional drummer to this day, we used to go to his house and I would tape a microphone to the the guitar and hook it up to his parents' stereo. And we would just, yeah, I think I'm finding t- really tolerant parents as a, as a through line through my entire story, well, I think. Your mother must have been musical if she had the piano and the classical guitar. Yeah, she played piano and I, uh, yeah, she played piano and uh, was actually, I think, pretty quite, quite good. And uh it's funny, just a little while ago, I forget who I was talking to, but I was thinking back and sometimes you remember things from your childhood that you kind of forgot about or you didn't really realize the significance of. And I was telling a friend of mine that I think probably my favorite memory in my entire life and probably the thing that just like for me embodies just like safety and love. It's just I remember as a little kid sitting on the stairs before I was going to bed and listening to my mom play the piano. And I just when I think back to that, I just think that was like the greatest memory I think I could ever have. It was just, I love to listen to her play the piano and uh, she would play stuff like music box dancer or the entertainer, like Frank Mills stuff, that kind of stuff. And uh, I just loved it. I just thought it was amazing. So, well, I guess you pursuing music had to happen with that kind of influence, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I think back, I think I had a pretty strong imprinting of uh, loving music uh, way early. Um, and even as a kid, I remember putting on the headphones and listening to the um, vinyl albums, just cranked and laying there. My parents have pictures of me just laying on the floor, kind of eyes closed with the headphones on, zoning out to the <laughs> records and stuff. So it's always been something that just, uh, I don't know, for me, connects me with whatever whatever people want to get connected with in their life, whether it's, you know, some people have religion or meditation or whatever else. Uh, for me, it's always been music that, that does it. I, I presume this is not a fair question, but some great musicians have come out of Kitchener-Waterloo area. What do you think yeah. it, it is about that area that so many great musicians have come out of there? Well, I think Mel Brown definitely, we were talking about earlier about Mel Brown. He's definitely, definitely has something to do with that because he kind of brought this legit blues thing up to Kitchener. And they also had the Pop the Gator Club, Club there as well. So a lot of touring guys would come through, like legit guys. I, yeah, mean, yeah. I, think, I think like Albert King might have come up through there, or like guys like that, which um, it doesn't get more legit than that. And uh, and then when Mel Brown kind of came there and, and stayed in town, um, I think people got a taste of for like the real deal blues. Um, so that definitely, I think, built the blues scene there. Um, and there used to be a lot of live music. Like there was great other bands that weren't blues bands as well. There was a period there, like um, what were they? Uh, uh, Rob Zabo and uh, Steve Strong. Flynn. Yeah, Steve Strong was in that too. Um, what was the? Uh, oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. Anyway, they were like a funk trio. But there, were, there was a bunch of great bands. Uh, there was a really vibrant music scene in Kitchener for a while. Um, I mean, and there's lots of different types of music. There was jazz bands playing, um, funk bands. There was lots of blues stuff. So I think there was a lot of music, music there. I don't really know why, other than, like I said, um, the, uh, pop, the Gator and Mel Brown coming to town, um, kind of developed that. Um, and then I think a lot of people like, uh, Steve Strongman and like, uh, Sean Kellerman and, and guys like that kind of 
came out of that tradition a little bit. So at what point did you think this is something you wanted to pursue seriously? Um, I guess when I made the conscious decision that is what I want to do is when I went to college. I went to Humber College to study music. And so that was kind of like, I think I was always really, really into it. I just spent, I mean, I spent every, like all day, every day playing guitar in my parents' basement. Um, but when I decided that, yeah, I'm going to actually pursue this career-wise, that was probably when I did it. Tell me about going to Humber and, and like what was, what did you hope to get out of Humber other than just to become a better musician? But were there, were there things that you were hoping to get by attending Humber College? Uh, again, I probably wasn't that goal-oriented. I really was just about I wanted to learn to play better. And I, I really thought that um, when you see people that, uh, like jazz players or fusion players, they really play a more complicated harmony than I could play at that time. They always play interesting chords, interesting you know, notes and scales. So I wanted to kind of learn a bit of that. Um, and it just seemed like that was the next step, that you go to you know, college. And this, it was a, I'm sure it still is, it was a very highly regarded college for music um and a friend of mine had gone there the year before and really liked it so i decided i would do that and um actually i had a really funny experience when i getting in there because it was audition based right so you had to go in and and uh it was really an intimidating thing because they would they had three i think two or three of the profs there who were like super heavyweight jazz players right like really intimidating and uh and then you had to go in and play certain arpeggios and chords for them and like demonstrate your ability and then you had to like jam over a blues with them and then you had to perform a chord melody which is like playing the chords in the melody of a song uh by yourself solo in front of these people who are just like judging the heck out of you right <laughs> so so before before you go in there and it's really competitive so i think in the year i went they had i think it was was it 500 people auditioned and they accepted 13 or something like that and so it was really like your chances of getting in were pretty slim wow so it, yeah it was nerve-wracking and so before you go in at your audition, there's a big kind of uh, seating area out front. It's at down to the Lakeshore campus, which is an old high school. But So there's all these uh, seats around this big square and everyone's waiting to get called into the audition room. And so when I went there, I looked around and, and I could overhear some conversations and there were some guys there who had, they didn't get in last year. So they got put in a preparatory course that allowed them to kind of learn the skills they needed to then successfully audition. So I thought, oh, man, well, these guys are going to get in for sure because they're, they've are they studied for a year just for this, right? And and I had not played anything jazz, so I'd, like, really had done a crash course on all the, you know, a lot of the stuff. Uh, I was mostly just a blues and rock player. And uh, I could hear them talking about all these different arpeggios, and they were practicing this and that and about, you know, all this stuff. And I thought, oh, my God, you know. So they were getting their guitars out, and they were warming up. And I was so intimidated that I, did, I didn't even get my guitar out because I didn't, like, I was just kind of thinking – you know, they're going to, yeah, I'm going to embarrass myself here. So I didn't even warm up. And then I went in and I got called into the thing. And um, sure enough, I, I actually played really well. I did my chord melody and I did it perfectly, which I was relieved because it was very difficult. And then, of course, they said, that was great. Can you do it again? And I thought, oh, no. So I had to do it a second time. And I think I made a mistake or two. But anyway, and then I jammed with them and it, it went fine. So um, and then the funny thing was that later in our first year, those two guys that I did see did end up getting into the program. And I remember we about like two thirds of the way into the year, we started talking about the audition. And, and I was saying like, yeah, you guys, you know, were we're sitting there and I was really worried because you seem to know your stuff. And, and they said, what? And they said, no, everyone was terrified of you because you didn't even warm up. <laughs> <laughs> so unbeknownst to me i was apparently this i was very intimidating to everyone else just because i was frightened to, you know for my life <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story um how long was the the music program at humber uh it was a three-year program i stayed there for two years but i didn't finish it and uh i just i found uh um the jazz was not really my <laughs> the direction i wanted to go and a lot of it was kind of in uh, in the direction of more traditional jazz. But it is I learned a ton there, but I didn't really know what I'd learned until years later. And, and one of the profs there even told me that, because I, I think I was frustrated with what I was learning and I couldn't apply it. And he just told me like, look, everything you're learning here is not going to make sense for like 10 years. <laughs> so I, I thought, okay, well, <laughs> I'll take your word for that, I guess. Um, and it's true. So years later, it's like as I learned more kind of on my own kind of, self-taught journey uh, a lot of that stuff all of a sudden started to click 
Um, and uh, and once it did, I'm glad I, I pursued it and went and, and learned a lot. Of it. Based on what you just said, is there a chance that perhaps there is jazz in your future? I would probably say no, because I think I think when you're as far as like technique or styles, sometimes you kind of have to pick a road to go down and then um, you can either go further down that road or you kind of have to back out and start at the beginning of another one. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And so I think I think there is jazz influence in my playing and I use a lot of harmony that's not typically thought of as being in blues or rock. Um, but I would think I would call that more fusion than real jazz. Um, I really appreciate jazz playing. I love to listen to it, but I don't know that I love it enough to dedicate the amount of time that it would take to be good at it. Um, and I think that's the thing is that people that really can play jazz really, really well, they have to spend a lot of time at it. I spend a ton of time playing the guitar, but I'm not trying to swing over standards. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm trying to do my own thing and, and a different style. So I don't see myself going down that road. But I mean, jazz harmony is is kind of, as far as Western music is the most complex harmony. So you kind of study jazz harmony in order to be able to apply it to any kind of music, I think. I wonder when you said you, you, you kind of wanted to go down your own music, when did you know what that was? Uh, well, I think I kind of got back on, on the right path after brutally driving into the ditch, <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> I think for, sometimes, you, sometimes you've kind of got to hit a rock bottom, uh, so to speak. Um, and I actually, I had a gig for a while I got uh, I was playing blues gigs and stuff around uh, a lot around Toronto and stuff like that and and uh, on one gig I had a keyboard player fill in for me or fill in for my bass player and he after on the set break he said he was putting together a band to go play in Dubai and uh, and he asked me if I'd play guitar in it and I, I thought he must just be you know full of it and I but I said yeah sure it sounds like fun and sure enough a few weeks later he had the gig and he was asking me to go to Dubai and play in this band and so it was only, we had a few rehearsals and we went there. Uh, next thing I know, I was in the Emirates, you know, and we had a gig playing uh, six nights a week, uh, four sets a night. It was a lot, but it was all top 40 music. So it was like, um, at the time it was top 40. So like, you know, uh, club hits and some classic rock and stuff like that. Um, and it paid well. It was great uh, from that perspective. And it kind of, for me, it was like, ah, success. You know, I've made it here in, in, at, at that age, at least. And uh, certainly it was a great experience from a lot of a lot of ways. But musically, it was just uh, soul crushing because I was playing all this music that I really didn't dig and I had to do it every night. And sometimes I guess you think that you could do it and still preserve your love of music generally. But (laughs) I found I couldn't. (laughs) How long did it take for you to find that out? Well, I was there, I think, just under four months I was there. And I think I found out after about a month. So (laughs) it was the last few were a little rough. But uh, um, yeah, and then when I came home, I just kind of found that I didn't want to play the guitar anymore. And I, I didn't really play for, I think, probably around three months when I got home, which is for me is unheard of. I, since I was probably, I don't know, as soon as I first picked it up, I've never gone that long without playing. And I just, I just every time I looked at the guitar, I just had this kind of feeling of like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, it, I didn't want to do it, right? Wow. And so, and then finally, I, one day, I, I don't know what happened, but I just decided I should play the guitar. Like I remembered, I used to, used to love playing guitar. Why don't I anymore? And then I realized that I had always been playing guitar with the mentality of trying to do something that really wasn't important to me or wasn't, didn't kind of connect with me emotionally or anything. I was just trying to play stuff uh, that I didn't really care about. So I thought, what would I actually play if I just could play what I wanted to, right? Like just if I, and so I just started playing and not trying to, you know, play a song to be in a band or anything. I just said, just for me, I just played. And uh, once I did that, I just kind of rediscovered it. And at that point, I realized that, okay, if I'm going to actually pursue music professionally, I have to put the professional side in the back seat and just say, I'm going to play what I like to play. And then hopefully that'll be good enough that some professional success will come after that. So, But I wonder how easy it is to know what, what it is that you like to play. I mean, is it just a matter where you play it and, the, oh, I like that? Or do you know what I mean? Like, how do you how do you know who Gary yeah. Kane is as a guitarist and a musician? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a, that's not necessarily one thing that, that happened there. I think so in that instance, it was probably just giving myself the freedom to say, um, stop trying to uh, meet standards or be something that you think you have to be. And just like, don't think about it. Just what comes out when you just allow out what's there, right? Like what's going to happen. Um, 
and I think with playing music uh, and improvising and things like that, what's actually happening when you do it is really your, it's like your subconscious mind is really the thing that's playing the instrument for you when it's going well. Um, because when people that describe when you're playing and you get into that zone, uh, the feeling is really that you're not doing it right. Uh, like it's just happening. And sometimes you'll play things that afterwards you're like, I don't even know how to do that. Right. Like, I don't know how to play that. Um, because consciously you don't, right. Cause it's kind of like your subconscious has just internalized these things. Right. And if you get out of your own way, the music will come out and, uh, and that was kind of what I had to learn to do was just kind of get out of the way without thinking consciously about it and turning off the inner critic, right? Like right away thinking, was that good? You know, um, and, you know, will people like that? Does that fit in here? And just instead just playing and it, and not worry about whether it's good or bad, just that it's honest, you know? Um, and so that's kind of what I, I started doing. And that was my ethos. And every once in a while, something will happen that kind of pulls me away from that a little bit like being offered a gig that seems really good on a lot of metrics but i always just try to keep myself focused on the fact that no i'm doing this because i love it and that's the that's the kernel of it everything else is kind of added on to it it's not that i the goal for me is not to turn my passion into a desk job (laughs) right it's like if i want to do that i could go become an accountant or something although i'm so bad at math i couldn't do that but um <laughs> but but i wonder what when you went through that experience where you just had to put the guitar down i, I can imagine that might have been a little frightening to you to, to have this thing that you were so passionate about to have that passion disappear um what how what did you do when when all of a sudden guitar playing didn't interest you for a few months yeah, it was not a fun time. And the other thing that happened there is because we were playing so much and I was singing so much, I actually injured my voice, so I couldn't sing as well. And actually, even at one point, talking became painful. So I was kind of a little bit socially isolated because a lot of my friends were out, like a lot of the socialization was happening at loud bars and things, and I couldn't really raise my voice to get over it. So it wasn't a fun time at all. And yeah, I just kind of just didn't play. And I, I, it, it was like a part of my life was missing for sure. But it was a part of my life that had gradually gotten snuffed out bit by bit over the last month. So it was kind of like, you know, the frog in the boiling pot of water where you don't notice that it's being taken away because just gradually I, I, it eroded my enthusiasm for it. Um, and then when I finally decided to play again, I remembered that, oh, man, I love this. You know, I, I absolutely love this more than anything. Um, but it's, it's funny. Was there a moment? Uh, I, I remember being in the apartment that I was in and just picking up the guitar and just jamming. And I remember just thinking like, wow, like I, how did I forget that I love this? You know, and it, it's weird that people, you can actually forget how much you love something, whether it's a person or a music or anything else. And sometimes you need to be reminded, I guess. Okay. So then you, you say, okay, I'm going to play what I want to play and and kind of lose yourself in your music how easy was it to find what that thing was um well i think i'm still searching for what that is to be honest with you um and i think it's kind of thing where like i don't think anybody can really successfully say here is my thing and now i'm going to do it it just kind of evolves over time um that without you really realizing you just become you develop your own voice whether you want to or not you can try to imitate other people and that's kind of how you learn to play right is you you find people that you really dig and you you imitate them or you're trying to learn what they do but no matter what you do um you end up just sounding like yourself hopefully um and i think a big thing for me was uh like i said i was really into acdc and rock and i went through all kinds of phases with you know joe satriani and metallica and like all these different things and then uh i remember when i discovered steve ray vaughn is what like millions of other people of course brought me to the blues um and we, we were on vacation i think down in like florida or south carolina with my parents but they, they gave us each a few bucks to go to a like a music store and buy some tapes and for some reason i bought texas flood and uh nice i put choice. it on in the yeah you can't go wrong right and uh uh, yeah, I put it on in the rental car and I stayed in the rental car most of the rest of vacation. <laughs> so they were going out and sightseeing and I was like, just leave the keys to the van, you know, and uh, like literally I was just glued in there and I was the whole family was listening to Texas Flood the rest of the vacation. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, it was like being hit by lightning because it was so great. You know, so that kind of got me into blues. Can you explain to me what made it so great to you when you heard Texas Flood? 
what was it? Can you can you articulate that thing that it was that drew you to it? Well, I think it, part of it was his tone. The sound of his guitar was just like whoa, like never heard anything like that. And then it was just the and the playing. He's just such a phenomenal player. And I think some of the tunes like Scuttlebutton is on that thing. Like you just played this blazingly fast stuff, but it was just so cool, and it just made me feel like just so excited. Um, it just sounded like unlike anything I'd ever heard. And it's kind of like when you suddenly realize, like, oh, that can be done with a guitar. Like, this is just a whole new lane that's opened up, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and I hadn't really had a, lo- a whole lot of exposure to blues, although you could argue early ACDC is blues. But right. um, I hadn't had a lot of exposure to the, the blues greats. That was kind of how I discovered it. And then uh, I think what happened with Stevie Ray Vaughan was that he, he was such a, a mind-blowing talent and just such a, a breath of fresh air in guitar that everybody started imitating him right and to this day um you know tons of people do and i i think at, at some point it, it can kind of lead you into dead end with him because you you, you can only imitate him for so long before you've you're just, that's all you're doing is just playing stevie ray right and it's and there's guys who make careers just doing that um and then for me what happened is uh and that's why one of the reasons chris duarte is such a big influence is obviously he's hugely influenced by stevie ray but rather than just imitating, I found in his playing that he kind of took an influence of Stevie Vaughan and, and did his own thing with it. And I felt like his first album was kind of like, for me, it was kind of him showing the guitar wood, like, hey, guys, this is over now. Like, here, here is me taking Stevie Vaughan, twisting it inside out and just, you know, showing you that this is you have to do your own thing with it. And to me, that was kind of like a real changing moment for me because just the way he approached the guitar. Now, I didn't necessarily learn a lot of his licks all the time. I did a few, but just the approach of doing your own thing, um, not trying to do things exactly the way they've been done, and just uh, kind of having this breakneck attitude of just you know going for it. I wonder, now that you've gotten to know Chris, have you ever had that discussion about his approach to his music and his Stevie Ray Vaughan influences? Um, not really. No, I mean, I don't really know him well. We chatted a number of times, uh, and I know we've we've sat uh, on like a set break on his gig and chatted about you know him, the Steve Ray Vaughan influence on him, which was which is huge. Um, I think also with somebody like that, when they get compared to Steve Ray Vaughan so much, they kind of start to not like it as much, or they kind of resent it a little bit because people are some people can't tell the difference between a Steve Ray Vaughan imitator and somebody that is influenced by him. And I, it's 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 a bit of a fine distinction, I guess, maybe to the untrained ear. But so I think he's more into like doing like the real rare Stevie Ray Vaughan tunes, but he doesn't cover Stevie Ray tunes when he plays. And I think that's a conscious choice to kind of avoid that comparison, which I totally get. But So knowing those trappings, how do you navigate your the influence that Stevie Ray and, and Chris Duarte has on you and yet try to come up with your own? thing um well i think the thing is once you get enough influences you kind of make it just kind of a big gumbo of all of them so you don't end up sounding exactly like anybody and at times you might play something like note for note quote of somebody which is kind of like just a tip of the hat saying like you know here this guy's a big influence um but i think um my own style on the guitar just technique wise i developed this hybrid picking which is using your pick and your fingers and another huge influence, Danny Gatton is the guy that got me into that. And so that opens up a lot of different things. It makes me sound a little bit different. I kind of got into like some twangy chicken picking stuff. Um, and so that approach kind of whether I wanted to or not makes me sound a little bit different than a lot of the guys who might just be flat picking a lot of stuff. But I think all I do is really I move in the direction of things that really excite me. So when I hear something, whether it's a guitar player or anybody else that I really think is super cool, I try to figure out what's happening there. And then I try and figure out what I can take from it. And uh, and then that just kind of goes in the the arsenal, <laughs> the guitar arsenal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you decide this is the way you want to go. This is who I am. I'm going to pursue blues. Um, and I don't know if you consider yourself blues or rock blues. But you start making a name for yourself. You do festivals across Canada. Then you wind up at the IBC. And I know that that, experience led to other opportunities coming up like the Massey yeah. Hall gig. Yeah. Tell me about the experience of being at in the semifinals at the IBC. And what year was that? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I want to say 
2018 maybe okay so tell me about 20, that experience of being down there uh i was great it was awesome um we had a really good time and it, it's super hectic because everything happens on such a compressed time schedule so like you get there um they kind of tell you you're going to play at this place and you get up there and you've got 15 minutes to get everything set up you know and the changeover so the other band's scrambling off you're scrambling on and uh you get i forget how long you get i think you maybe get like 20 minutes or 30 minutes to do your thing and um anybody that's played perform live is like you can have off nights and you can have on nights and sometimes you're you know you're really good and sometimes you're really not so it's a little bit nerve-wracking because you just hope that you show up that night right you don't have a whole set or two sets to work it out you've kind of got to just you know bang it out there in the first 25 minutes or you're going home so um so yeah we kind of got our instruments out and ready and just warmed up while we were in the bar waiting to go on a little bit and then and we had a blast it was super fun and we played well um and uh yeah we ended up making it through to the semifinals, which was which was a ton of fun the whole atmosphere was really great like people really lots of uh, obviously musicians and fans and stuff there and it was a really good experience i met some cool people uh and got some good opportunities out of it and uh yeah, I would I would definitely recommend it to anybody that's that's thinking of going. Although I think it's changed because years ago it used to be kind of like more like amateur trying to get to the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then up leading up to when we went, when we went there, there was a lot of like solid pro bands that were there, like people who were regularly touring Europe were like you know <laughs> playing there. So it wasn't like you know it wasn't as kind of amateur trying to become pro. It was more like pros trying to get more gigs, basically, which I mean is fine. Do you remember what you thought you were hoping to, what you hoped to achieve with that or what you hoped to get out of that experience before you went there? Yeah, I really wanted to uh, book some festival gigs and just start getting some gigs in other places around the world. And um, and I never really had a, t- or I shouldn't say exactly, but I never really had a ton of success right around my kind of hometown area. For whatever reason, I never really, I just, I struggled to be, to be kind of, I don't know, booked or promoted there in the regular channels for whatever reason. So I would get, you know, I would get offered more gigs in Europe than I would get in like Kitchener, Toronto kind of thing. How does that happen? How do you get the European gigs? The European stuff, I just started sending stuff out. Like I started looking at people that were similar to me that I liked and saw where they were playing and and, um, started just sending out emails. Um, And then also some people just found me on, uh, on like Facebook and they would come across. It's just surprising how sometimes people find you. But the, the one year I really decided to try and make a concerted effort, I just looked up a bunch of festivals. I put together my best emails, sent them video of me playing, and uh, kind of hope for the best. And then, of course, after the IBC, that really helped because then you have that kind of feather in your cap that you can – it gives you a little bit of credibility too. Okay, and it wasn't it through the IBC that you wound up getting an opening gig at Massey Hall? Yeah, we opened for George Thurgood and the Destroyers there at uh, Massey Hall, and uh, and that was a complete blast. We had so much fun, and uh, yeah, I had a bunch of friends came out to that, and it was packed. It was just a great. Uh, I'm sure you've been to Massey Hall before, right? Yes. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been on stage there, but but it's really they're really up on you. Like it's I was expecting like an experience of being at like home plate at a baseball game where <laughs> everyone was really far away, kind of right. And then you get out there and like people are right up in your grill. Like they're like, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of eye contact happening. And so it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit scary, but we had such a good time. And I have to say the, like the crew and everybody for Thorogood's folks were just, they treated us like gold. It was great. They weren't, there was no like, Hey, who are these guys kind of thing. They but it was through them. Well. I mean, they invited you and it wasn't like some promoter yeah. put you guys together. They're the ones yeah. who said, Hey, will you come and open up for us? Yeah, this uh, guy Adam, who's the tour manager for uh, for George, uh, I met him down in uh, at the IBC, and then he came out and saw our performance, and so we stayed in touch. And then not that long after, he said, "Hey, we need an opener in Toronto," and uh, I was like, yeah, "You know, <laughs> hell yes, I'll do that." So uh, yeah, we went out, and it was amazing. I think the only danger was that I thought I was gonna like, you know, probably hyperventilate about like the third thing. And I realized I like, I'm so excited right now that I have to control my breathing because I'm going to run out of gas. Uh, Cause I had to sing the, you know, these tunes with some pretty fast lyrics. So I just kind of had to calm myself for the first couple songs. And then, uh, I mean, it was a little nerve wracking at first, but we got a really good response from the audience. Like 
our first kind of applause break. And that really made us feel good. And then I think we just, from that point forward, it was just pure fun. It was just one of the most fun experiences of my life. It was, uh, you know, playing, playing in that, uh, that environment. So you'd hope that that would be the case. I mean, I can imagine, you know, me getting up and getting so nervous that not being able to enjoy the moment, but, but to have that kind of opportunity to open up for somebody at the great Massey hall and, and to, to enjoy it must've been pretty special. Yeah, I'm really glad that we we enjoyed it and we had such so much fun because it like you said it is really easy not to enjoy a performance if it's not going well or you're too yeah. worried about, you know, how it's going and you're, you know, too concerned about that. But I remember in the time I just remember I knew at the time I I'm, I'm having a blast. I was like this is the most fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was so much fun. And even afterwards like we were just on cloud 9 the whole ride home to Kitchener. Um yeah, it was great. I think that's the kind of thing that one of the most common questions I get from people is like that are players that are you know asking me for advice is like getting over stage fright and or being nervous on stage. And I think that it's kind of like anything else. It's like you just got to do it enough until you get used to the feelings that come with it. And those feelings can be thought of as fear or they could be thought of as excitement. Right. It's a, it's a physiological response. And if you can kind of get into your head that this is excitement I'm feeling, not this is fear and danger I'm feeling then you can really enjoy it and kind of use it to your advantage. So, um, yeah, I'm really glad we played really well and we had a blast. I w- it would have really have been a drag if we had, you know, come out and laid an egg on that one. <laughs> but, but to also realize at that moment that this is fun, because I think yeah. that's special to be, to be able to enjoy the moment and go, yeah, this is, this is great and I'm really having a great time. Yeah, because at the end of it, like if you have one of these experiences and then afterwards you think back and go, oh, wow, I just didn't enjoy that. Right. I was too worried about all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I've had that happen a lot. Like not the bad thing, but there's like have it where I enjoy it, like playing at a festival, get a big crowd and just kind of having a moment where you become aware of of just how great it is, you know. And yeah. um, I think that's an important thing to do, not only so you have a good experience, but also just so that you stay um it, it kind of carries you some of the more uh, difficult times, I think, to remember that experience. Um, and I sure. think you play better. You know, you, if you play with a sense of joy, um, you, you're, you're going to play better. So if we go back to something you said before about not feeling like you, you had done well or you weren't getting noticed in Kitchener and in the Toronto area, I, and I don't know if you would have the answer to this, but do you, do you have any idea why? Well... You know, it, it's hard because I think when you're a musician, just because you deal with rejection so much over the course of, you know, it's just such a difficult thing that I think it's really difficult to not just personalize things like people that don't get opportunities or people don't dig them. It's hard not to make it personal words. And sometimes it's just a matter of like, hey, it didn't happen. So as I've gotten older, I think I take things a lot less personally. But um, for whatever reason, I just didn't get the support from the kind of existing infrastructure at the time. And I remember one time in specifically, I kept trying to get the, and I don't want to name any people or organizations, but, but there's but, some, but you can, if you want to, I'm just well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, in that case, uh, here's their home address. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, but yeah, I remember trying to get a few of the people that were kind of the blues, uh, taste makers or the influencers or the people, the gatekeepers kind of in, uh, in Kitchener, uh, try to come out and see me play. I booked some gigs and I was like, will you come out? You know, would you, you know, cause to help me out. And they just wouldn't, they wouldn't come out. They just wouldn't show interest. And then I remember one night I showed up to load in a gig and the woman from the organization was there and I was thrilled. And I kind of, Oh, like she's sitting at a table and I just bring in my gear in. And I was like, Oh, Hey, I was like, Oh, you made it out. That's awesome. And then she kind of looked at me and then I realized that she had not planned to come there. <laughs> she was eating dinner there. And then she proceeded to leave before we started. <laughs> so it just happened that she was there. And I was like, oh, amazing, you're here. And she's like, oh, crap. Like, I, how do I not stay now? And so she did. And it's like she, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. But um, in the end, I mean, I think, uh, and my wife reminds me, she's like, you know, you play better when you're angry. And I, so there was a fair, bit of, a fair bit of anger and kind of frustration I felt around a lot of things along those lines. But Generally, I think I channeled those into being being a better player a lot of the time. Okay, so after having that experience of putting down the guitar for a number of months and then deciding to pursue your own thing, since then, have you thought about 
ever putting it down? Like, have you ever been discouraged that you thought, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do this? <laughs> or did Not... that experience change things that maybe you will never feel that way? I hope I don't. I There are times, and I've, I, like, I mean, uh, my poor wife, she hears it all the time, depending on whether I've had a good practice that day or not. Right? Uh, but I'll say, like, oh, God, I have no business playing the guitar. Like, I, you know, should, but I, I don't, I'm never going to not stop. It's just sometimes you get frustrated because well, you're, you're trying to really go for something um, to make it special. And if you don't get there, you can get really frustrated with yourself. So I have a lot of those days where, man, I just, you know, I'm just, it's not happening today. Um, but I never think, honestly think I'm going to stop doing it. I, I don't know how I could do it. I, I think it's just so deeply embedded in me now that I just would have to keep doing it. It's almost, even for the, not even for the music, just for like the mental health side of it. It's like, it's kind of my thing. It's what I put myself into to release whatever it is that you got to get out. Uh, music's my thing. So is music your full-time thing now, or do you do another job? No, music's it. Yeah. The music's all I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I made, kind of made that decision a number of years ago that I'm just going to go for it and just do music. And, uh, and it was going pretty well. And then COVID happened. <laughs> so, okay. Before we get to that, cause I want to yeah. talk about that as well. But when you decide sure. that this is what you wanted to do and this is the thing you would pursue. And I know you said you're not goal oriented, but do you have, are there things that you want to accomplish with that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think I looked at like financially, what, how much money do I have to make in order to be able to survive, and uh, and then how would that break down? Like, how do I make some from gigs? Do you make it from selling music? Do you make it from selling T-shirts? You know, do you make it from this and that? So I've kind of looked at that and made spreadsheets and kind of just to give myself an idea of what's realistic, and then I keep an eye on like what do gigs pay, you know, how much uh, a lot of you can make some money with tips down here, which is a, is a thing. Um, so I, I track how much I'm making and the, from that perspective, just to see how it's progressing and, and, and how realistic my goals are or whether I need to kind of find other um, avenues. So there is that. And um, that's, I mean, you always have to think about that for sure. But then for me, what I really want to be able to do, I guess, as far as goals, I'd like to be able to tour Europe once or twice a year regularly. Right. Um, and living down here, I mean, I don't know how long we'll be down here right now. Our plan is just to stay. But I'd like to be able to come back to Canada and do some decent tours there, maybe once or twice a year, um, and then to the States. So if I can do that and kind of make a year of, you know, go to go to Europe for a month every summer or or whatever that is, I'd like to expand so I have, I'm able to do that and travel, kind of travel the world and go to different places. Um, uh, how much does your past experience in Europe help you achieve that again? Um, well, it's kind of been all over the map. So the, the tour I'm doing this summer is actually in the UK, which I have not played before. So I've played in Spain, France, and Estonia. Um, and, uh, and so, the, and I'm playing in Spain again this year, but the, the UK thing, I, what happens, I mean, generally what happens is you get offered a festival, right? You need a festival gig in order to, to be able to make the tour work because club gigs just don't pay enough to get you over there. So if you get a festival gig or two, they pay well. And so that kind of provides you with the, the, uh, the cash to get over there. And then you can build a tour around them and kind of travel around to various, you know, clubs. And in the UK, they've got a really strong blues culture there. And I think they are amenable to uh, variations from the old school style of blues. I think that's part of the frustration I had with trying to crack into some of the blues scenes um, especially in, in my hometown is that they were very traditional mm -hmm. and uh, which is fine. But I mean, they, they, they kind of fetishize some of the original blues um, I think, and just kind of want to keep it. It's like, they want everybody to do the exact same thing and just sound like some of the old greats, which I always say like, there's ne there will never be a better Albert King than Albert King. And I think for my money, he's the best electric guitar, like blues guitar player who ever lived. Right but he's just, that's it. That is the pinnacle. Like you're just never going to do any better. If you could exactly do what Albert King did, you would just have, you know, <laughs> it would be a tie. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I think in Europe, my experience in Europe playing there is that the audiences are really receptive to you taking some, um, departures from standard blue stuff. Um, and that's really cool because when you get a reaction, like everybody likes to think like, I'm just, I'm a rebel and I do my own thing. I don't care what people think, but getting a positive feedback from an audience really helps you kind of propels you on, right? Like it's a, there's an energy in the room. And when you play for people and you kind of go outside and do something and take some risks and they respond positively and the energy kind of comes up in the room, 
it just makes you feel like you can then go a little bit further and it gives you this, you know, freedom. Whereas, you know, rather than people sitting there with their arms crossed, staring at you, waiting for you to play, you know, uh, some BB King note for note or whatever. Um, so I think that's what attracts me to Europe is they just, they have, they're a lot more open-minded, I think, as far as what blues can be maybe. Okay. So you moved to Austin and we kind of touched upon this before, but I'm more curious about digging deeper is, so you, you're a Canadian moving into Austin, a very musical town with tons of great musicians. Yeah. How do you establish yourself and make yourself known? Uh, well, I just kind of did the same approach that I did uh, back home as I just started sending out emails, trying to get gigs. Um, and it started out kind of playing a few places that weren't the greatest. And, and, you know, but I started playing and I just started connecting with people. People would see me out at a gig and then they'd kind of, you know, start following me, keep track. They'd come out the next gig. They'd bring out friends of theirs, stuff like that. Um, and then I started meeting musicians. And then recently what's happened is a lot of musicians here have started coming out to some of my shows. So I've met a lot of guitar players, um, things like that. And I started connecting with some of the venue owners that are really about music, cre- creating music for their audience, where there's a lot of bars, especially downtown in Austin, where there used to be a really good music scene, where now it's basically like classic rock top 40 cover bands. And you're just playing for drunk college kids who are there to, you know, <laughs> get right. drunk and uh, meet each other, basically. And uh, so there's not really much viable down there as far as doing original uh, stuff. But but outside of that, there, there are a lot of places that people have where that's what they want. They want you to come and do your thing, right? They don't want you to come there and, and be anything else than, than what you are. And that's great. Like, and they appreciate it. So um, once you start connecting with those venues, um, they want to have you back and they're, and they're following, they'll have a following there too, right? That go to that venue because they know they bring in music. That's not, you know, classic rock or just people doing the same old thing. And that's great. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of music lovers down here, too, and great musicians, too. When I look on your website, there are a number of gigs around in and around various parts of Texas. Yeah. So is the idea to keep expanding that geography, that, the places that you visit? and well, Yeah, within reason. I mean, I'll play anywhere in Austin. We play, like, Houston. It'll be, like, two and a half or three hours, and we'll go there. Uh, we'll drive that out and back in a night if we have to. Um, so yeah, I'm playing kind of locally here and that's the way to do it. I think is you have to, you have to have a number of gigs where you play locally to keep yourself busy and, uh, you know, keep me in enough craft dinner and, uh, <laughs> and rice to survive. But, uh, um, and then when you build tours, it really comes down to festivals or, or those types of things. So, um, my hope is that as time goes on and I'm doing some gigs, I'm doing some gigs, like I'm playing a festival in Kentucky and playing in Nashville, on my way back to Canada to then play some gigs. So my hope is just to get some decent paying festival gigs um, elsewhere in the States that I can build tours around and start to develop a little circuit in that area so that I can go back there every, say, three months and have a bit of a draw. Um, And then I think once you build up those little regional circuits, you can kind of rely on going there and and having a crowd. Um, Do you have an agent? I don't. I'm basically No, I have a publicist, but... I don't have, I have an agent, everything else I'm just kind of doing on my own. Um, which I think is, I mean, on one hand, it's, it's kind of good that you do every job. So you know how they're done, I guess. So, yeah. you know, if somebody else is doing a good job at them, but just the scale of things and how difficult it is financially to get by as a musician, I'm trying to keep all of it as, as small as, as I can without, you know, inflating too much with agents and things like that. Um, and I find that people don't mind dealing directly with you. You know, so uh, uh, right now it's working for me. I'm certainly, if there's any agents out there listening, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly amenable. But uh, but right now I'm just kind of doing it on my own, uh, doing all the booking. Just the fact that you know how to use a spreadsheet tells me that, you know, you're smarter than the average bear. So, <laughs> Well, I come by you it You have some business by, sense. Yeah, maybe. Uh, my dad, we kind of have a joke in my family. My dad is just, he makes spreadsheets for everything. So like growing up, it was like, no matter what the issue was, you know, it was like, oh, I better make a spreadsheet. So I come by that very honestly. <laughs> okay. So you moved down there. Um, I don't know. You were down there for a couple of years before the pandemic. Yeah. I think full time I was maybe down here like a year and change. Yeah. And then before the pandemic hit. You had already released your first album. Yeah, I released that before I moved down to Austin. Okay. Yeah. So you 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 go down there, you're starting to establish, you're trying to establish your name, and all of a sudden this evil thing happens. How do you deal with that? 
What does that do to you? Well, yeah, it was very disappointing because I had a whole, I had the whole tour in the UK booked and it takes so much work to put that together. Just, just the, just the emails and organizing logistics and like, you know, trying to map it all out and the routing and all that stuff. So I had everything booked and was ready to go. And then COVID happened. And of course, everything started canceling. So I think at that point, I, I forget how many gigs I had, but it was like, I think it was just over 40 that I had to cancel as far as, cause I had, I had tours of like Eastern Canada, I had tours of uh, the UK. And then I was just trying to route down through Maine. Like I had a whole, my summer was going to be epic. And then, and it was really going to be my best year ever. And, and then it was so disappointing. I think the thing is we just kept reminding ourselves that like, you know, we didn't catch it. We're not, nobody we knew died, which was really nice. Like, I mean, so we're lucky that way. Right. And I guess the silver lining of just of not being able to gig is I didn't have to do any of the booking emails, which takes a lot of time. So I basically just had nothing to do but practice the guitar and and do some writing. So I literally was practicing like eight to 10 hours a day again, right? Which I hadn't done since I was probably, I don't know, 13 years old. And so I just dove right back into the guitar. And for me, it, it kind of preserved my sanity because I didn't get too down on things because I was really enjoying the guitar and, and really delving back into it. And it kind of took the pressure off too, because there, there's nothing I could do, right? I couldn't do anything. I, there's no gigs to book. So it wasn't like I was worried that I wasn't hitting any goals because there was no goals to hit. <laughs> so, you know, I guess that's a, that's the glass half, half full. Oh yeah. And at the same yeah. time, you come up with a, another album's worth of material. Yeah. And so the thing was, I was kind of planning on doing another album and I'd been planning for a while, but then COVID hit and I thought, well, I, there's no point in releasing an album in the middle of a pandemic when you can't go out and tour with it. So, but I just, I thought, well, I'm going to, at first I was going to do an EP, like just maybe uh, five or six tunes. And then I just kind of kept writing and I ended up with enough tunes for a full album. So yeah, I thought, well, I'm stuck at home with COVID. Um, I'll just practice my butt off. I'm going to record this, uh, write and record this album get it done. And when things seem to be coming out of the pandemic, I'll have an album I can put out there and go hopefully tour again. So that's kind of where we are now. Uh, I hope it's over. <laughs> I hope it doesn't come back. So the album is called Next Stop and it's coming out in a few weeks. Yeah. So May 6th. Uh, and so tell me about that album. Other than the fact that this is you woodshedding in, in the basement or whatever during pan the <laughs> pandemic, um, how is it what does it mean to you to release this album? What, what, what does the album mean to you? Yeah. Well, you know, I, for a while I didn't have a title for it and I was kind of trying to pick a song off it, um, to figure out what I would name it. And then, uh, well, one day we're just driving past a bus stop that's near us, which is actually where I got the photo taken for the cover. And I just that the phrase next stop popped in my head. And I thought that's kind of indicative of where I'm at right now is that this, obviously this album is the next stop for me stylistically but you know we've also moved we've moved into another country this is kind of our next stop in life and i also kind of thought like i'm ready to kind of take a step up in my career and hopefully this is going to be the next stop on an ongoing journey uh not the last stop hopefully <laughs> if, my, if my if my next Just album the next is called stop. last yeah if my last <laughs> next album is called laugh stop you'll know there's something's gone horribly wrong <laughs> and then maybe it'll be called just stop maybe that's what people tell me is just stop <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of the ethos for it. And uh, yeah, I, I, on it, I kind of just decided to uh, write a lot of songs that were about the experience. I didn't write songs about COVID itself because I didn't really find that was something I even wanted to kind of discuss. But I wrote a lot of it about just kind of some of the songs are about, you know, my experience of trying to be a musician, um, that kind of journey. And then uh, uh, I, I just tried to put in, a, a lot of passion into it so i just i really tried to play my ass off on it basically <laughs> is what i wanted to do so it's 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 definitely blues i think i am blues but everyone defines it differently but i know my publicist heard it she thought it sounds like hard blues rock is what she thought it was and i, I don't know if it's that but there's some funky tunes there's some twangy tunes there's some bluesy stuff uh some kind of gospel for me at least gospel inspired um, stuff and some straight ahead kind of rock and roll stuff. Um, so I really didn't want to stick with one stylistic aesthetic. I just wanted to play, like I said, do my thing and whether or not this fits the mold of what, you know, is easily categorizable. Um, it's all honest, basically, you know, it's all genuine. 
And and what's it like when when you know and because you've lived with these songs for a while now, and yep. you know now the pandemic's hopefully over. You've decided to release it, but there's this time lag between what you wrote and when you recorded it, and when you put together the album, and you're just waiting for the album to come out. What does that anticipation feel like? Um. Right now, I think it's a mix of excitement and anxiety. I think most of my anxiety is, is around w- whether COVID's going to rear its head again. And, you know, like, what, what do we do if we're in the middle of the UK tour and one of us gets COVID? Like, what happens then, right? Like, yeah. all these things. There's a lot of potentially terrible things that could happen. Um, but I'm really excited because I think it's a really good album. Uh, I, I work really hard on it. I, I'm excited to have some new music to play. Um, because it's been it's been too long since my first one. It had been too long before COVID, but then when COVID hit, that kind of just derailed that plan. And I think, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think I've become a very different player now than I was back when I did the last one. And uh, can I ask you yeah, in what way? Um, well, I've gotten to a lot of different, just like from a kind of musical nerd aspect. I've gotten into some different uh, different tonalities and things. I've really gotten into some different players. I became a real big uh, Scott Henderson fan. I got into some diminished scale stuff that I really have uh, a good time with. And I've really got into different uh, rhythmic syncopations and uh, uh, rhythmic um, kind of displacements and things like that, playing, um, pitting, uh, you know, different subdivisions against different times. So that kind of stuff. So I feel like it's it's a little bit more evolved from that perspective rhythmically. And uh, I just think I'm a better player. I think I've got more freedom on the instrument now. So I think what I've done on this album is just a little, there's, there's a little bit more range on it. I can kind of go for it a bit more and um, get myself into enough trouble that hopefully I can get myself out of. <laughs> <laughs> and you're coming back to Kitchener to play, right? Or Waterloo, somewhere around there? I am, yeah. I'm going to Waterloo. I'm doing kind of my Canadian album launch there on June 23rd at the the jazz room there in Waterloo. And, uh, and it'll be great. Like, like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of luck, uh, hometown luck and stuff like that before, but I've got a lot of support there now. Um, I just couldn't get it through the regular channels. I think that was the thing. And I've had a lot of people say that to me before. Like, I don't know why they didn't, you know, this, that, but there's enough, <laughs> there's enough people there that are, you know, come out to support me and stuff like that, that I, I love coming back now. Um, and play. I'm really looking forward to that one. Had, had you been back at all since um, pand- pandemic? I we had, yeah. We went back. I think we've been back two times um, for visit. Uh, we, our timing was terrible. Every time we went back to Canada, the pandemic just like hit again in Canada. So like, <laughs> it, it wasn't us bringing it, but yeah, it got bad. So we showed up, and like the next day, they locked everything down. So we couldn't mm. like visit with our friends and everything. So. Um, but yeah, it's always great to go home and obviously see friends and family and stuff, and then, um, and and play for people that you haven't seen for a long time. So I'm mean, I'm really looking forward to that. So we'll do a bunch of shows there. We're going to do that one in Waterloo, and then I'll do like Toronto and a few other places, Ontario, uh, and then I'm playing the Donnacona Blues Festival in Quebec. Oh, nice! Um, in August, after we come back from Europe, uh, and doing a couple uh, other gigs in Ottawa and Belleville and stuff like that. So. Wow. So, th- and this is the band that you have. Are you touring with the band from Texas or a different band? No, I'm actually playing with my former bandmates in Canada. So, the guys that I played with uh, in Canada, we played a lot together. I had a regular band. And when I moved to Austin, obviously, that they came down actually just for a, a trip and they played a few gigs with me down there. Um, but I've got an Austin band. And so, in the UK, I'm playing with my Canadian band. I'm playing the Canadian gigs and they're, they're coming to the UK. Um, just because I'd, I'd already booked the last UK tour with them. So I thought, you know, we'll, we'll keep it that way. And then the uh, the drummer from Austin is actually playing the Spain gigs with me. It's kind of a complicated <laughs> this summer. When I look at the logistics of this summer, it is a nightmare. But I hopefully <laughs> hopefully it's all going to work out. But on the other hand, if you got it to a point where you can go to like different bands in different continents, that would be ideal, wouldn't it? <laughs> it is pretty great. I mean, that that's the thing that's so challenging is that if you travel with a band, uh, like a lot of guys, they will just have people in an area that they can play with. And that's, yeah. it's always nice to play with the same people because you learn, you know, you learn each other, you're familiar with each other, the songs evolve and, and get better. And it's just a great thing. And especially if you, if you have a good relationship and a good hang in the van with people, that's like half the battle, right? Like the guys, my Canadian guys, Don and Tom, 
we just laughed like nonstop. We'd be on like a six hour drive and we'd just be laughing the whole time. Just like, you know, driving through Iowa cornfields for six hours and we would be just laughing. Our, you know, the number of corn jokes that were made was, you know, quite disturbing. But uh, <laughs> um, so that's a factor. But, you know, the reality of it is it's, it is tough to pay for hotels and all this stuff. So some people just you show up in a place and some guys will tour Europe and they'll just get local players there to play. And um, I'm certainly wouldn't be against doing that. Uh, it just comes down to what can you afford to do? Yeah. yeah. So, and it, it really isn't the same if, the, if it's not your band, right? Yeah. Cause I mean, especially with, if you have original music that's got stops and different things in it that, you know, you really want people to learn that has some like uh, some subtleties to it that you really, people really need to know the tunes. Uh, it's not like you can go over to Europe and rehearsal, rehearse for three weeks before you, <laughs> you know, or you yeah. that up. So you really have to find good guys that will take the time to learn your tunes. And then I guess the first few gigs, you just kind of see to the pants it and then learn on the job kind of thing. So, Well, it's been a real pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for reaching out. And, and I've enjoyed listening to your new album. And people Thanks. should check it out. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Hey, thank you. Like I said, I really dig your show. So I always like to hear conversations with musicians that are in a similar boat as I am or slightly different and hear their honest take on what it's like for them i think it's uh it's great as a musician to hear that kind of stuff so well best of luck with the new album and let's stay in touch yeah thanks man i'm going to be in toronto uh, at some point uh, playing a gig so if uh, you're a toronto guy right yeah yeah so if you're around uh keep an eye i think is it just june 24th i think we're down at the linsmore on danforth oh okay so if you're if you're in the neighborhood uh, swing on by definitely will thank you so <laughs> all right much. cool man thank you hey, take care